Hello and welcome to Spiritual Shit, your guide to the down and dirty of modern spirituality. This podcast is a place for people wanting to discover more about spirituality, where we can get weird about ghosts, mediumship, aliens, psychics, religion, new age, awakening, ascension, starseeds, channeling, holistic health, philosophy, and even dating. Some shows will be just me rambling about my mystical experiences and discoveries, while other shows will have guests to open up new perspectives and views. I hope you'll join me on this journey as we discuss and open up what spirituality in today's modern world really looks like. Remember to like and subscribe to never miss an episode and hit me up at thelovelyleah.com or at thelovelyleah on Instagram so we can connect. Become a Patreon supporter to get access to behind the scenes of our guests, freebies, early access to new episodes, discounts on merch, and more. Hey guys, thanks for joining me this week. We have some new things coming up that I need to do a little housekeeping for. It's October and Spiritual Shit's birthday is October 16th. So um, we have a little app at the bottom of each of the episodes that allows you to be able to record a message. And so if Spiritual Shit has helped you in any way and you'd like to let the show know, um, please leave an audio message for us that we can include on Spiritual Shit's birthday that we can air That would mean so, so, so much to me. In addition to that, it is obviously my favorite month because it's going to be Halloween. And so we are going to have a spooky, creepy, spooky episode that I'm very excited about that will air before Halloween. And we would also love you to use that same link in order to leave your messages of your spooky stories. We'd love to hear any spooky encounters that you've had and anything that sounds like it would have been funny or weird or paranormal or cool. We love that shit on the show. Um, So if you would feel so moved to contribute to that, we'd also really appreciate that. Now, something new that you're going to start hearing on the show is listener questions. We're going to start doing those at the beginning of every episode. So again, that same link, you can leave a question for us to answer at the beginning of the show if you'll be selected. And in addition to that, we'll also be having weekly wisdom card pulls at the end of every episode. And so as you guys know, I'm a card reader. And so I'm going to be giving some weekly wisdom for you that we're going to draw from the cards for some weekly inspiration. So be sure not to miss out on that. All right, let's hear from our first listener. Hi, Leah. So I have constantly had a problem in relationships where both parties are apprehensive to opening up, and it causes a, a very surface-level relationship. How do I enter relationships with the intention of actually connecting with someone? Thank you for your question, Helen. Um, I think sometimes it's really hard for us to truly open up and be vulnerable with other people. And often we're told, especially in dating relationships, uh, to put on a mask or to not be the one who loves the most. And I deeply feel like that comes out of us being fearful of being hurt by the other person. And I do believe that we mirror and we attract people into our lives that mirror back to us who we are. So you may be finding that you're getting exactly what you're putting out. And so I guess my most simple advice would be be yourself, be the most authentic that you can be, be tapped into your intuition about who it is that you're trying to choose. Are you trying to choose someone who isn't really there to be their authentic selves or someone you can be with who you can keep your mask up with? Or would it be more advantageous for you to be with someone who would dig behind the mask? Would it be better for you to be with someone who you can open yourself up to? And how good would that feel to be with someone that you didn't need to hide yourself from? 
when we start dating, it's really tempting to put on uh, the committee, you know, the, the, the face that, that looks the best and stay in that to try to win over or convince someone. But I'd advise you to be exactly who you are. Uh, I know that when I date, sometimes I'm a little, uh, a little too much, you know, trying to almost trigger someone to leave <laughs> because I, I want them to accept me for fully who I am and all my crazy. And so I think that the closer you get to you accepting yourself and you being able to reflect that in your relationships, the more you will attract people towards you that are just right for you. Thank you for your question. I hope that answers it. And now we'll get started with the show. Mark Groves is a human connection specialist and founder of Create the Love. He's a speaker, writer, motivator, creator, and collaborator featured in numerous podcasts, TED Talks, YouTube, and Harper's Bazaar. Mark bridges the gap between the academic and the human, inviting people to explore the good, bad, downright ugly, and beautiful sides of connection. As an emotional translator, his work is empowering people to give words to their feelings, step into their courage, and create a life and love they'll look back on with a resounding fuck yes. He says, rock bottoms are a chance to meet ourselves, to touch the depths of who we truly are, buried deeply below who we're taught to be in order to be loved and successful. He believes life should be lived free of masks and wants us to live and love all out to leave this life with no regrets. Jumping from tech sales to finance to marketing to pharmaceutical sales, he found his passion for uncovering why people do what they do and the psychology of connection and behavior. He broke up with his own shame about his trials and tribulations in love and shared them instead broke away from the social conditioning and pressure to fit in that he had blindly lived by and left the comfort and security of his job to become a writer and human connection expert. He turned his mess into his message through this thing called Create the Love. A thriving Instagram influencer on human connection that has even helped me with my relationships from afar, please welcome Mark to the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Spiritual Shit. I'm your host, Aaliyah Lovely, and today we have Mark Groves, who is a human connection specialist, top-rated podcaster, and Instagram influencer in the topic of relationships. And today we're talking about all things love and connection. Say hey to everybody, Mark. What's up, everybody? Happy to be here. Thanks for being here. Um, if you guys haven't been under a rock, you've probably seen Mark at Create the Love, talking about <laughs> all things love-related. And I found you because a friend of mine and um, myself were kind of sending back and forth some of your memes and some of the videos that you had about our relationships that we had going on at the time. <laughs> so we're like, did you see what this guy said about this? Like, oh yeah, da, 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 da. and we're going back and forth about it. So that's how I became one of your followers actually. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So it's been a fun journey. Um, I've even gotten help in my own process and finding love through that. So you've inspired me as well. So that's been kind of cool to kind of watch your journey even and seeing how you've gone through quite the process in the last year as well as far as expanding yourself in love and so um which we'll get into here in a little bit but before we get into all that stuff um can you give if people don't know who you are can you give people a snippet about who you are what you do um and kind of what's been your background that got you to this point yeah so uh i mean gosh the subject of relationships is so all-encompassing you know and a lot of my focus is on romantic relationships, but really that's only because they're a magnifying glass to what we don't do well. So the, you know, you might have relational challenges or dysfunctions or, you know, whatever we want to call them, opportunities mm -hmm. in your workplace or in your friendships or in your family. Uh, but I, I really think the one place that we're really willing to do the work most is in love. 
And when you change a pattern relationally with your romantic partner, I mean, gosh, that's that's the hardest work. You know, maybe we might add mom and dad in there. <laughs> Family yeah. is some of the most challenging. Uh, but once you've done that, I mean, gosh, a conversation at work is easy, a challenge, a conflict, a team uh, uh, being a leader, being managed, all of those things, you start to recognize your reactivity. You know, we often have more willpower in the workplace. You know, we're not going to lose our shit generally. We're not going to. So, so we don't, why do we have it there and not in romantic relationships, you know, and mm -hmm. there's more at stake from a workplace perspective, but I think I'd argue that there's way more at stake relationally and personally. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you look at the research, it's not, your blood pressure or your cholesterol that determines your health at age 80. It's actually the quality of your relationships at age 50. Mm -hmm. And that's not just romantic relationships, that's relationships of all kinds. So, you know, there's something about that, that avenue of learning that is so healing for us. And, you know, most, I would say almost all, if not all of our traumas tend to be relational. And, you know, that's where we get hurt, but that's also where we go to heal. And you know, my work really began, I was in sales, actually. I studied finances in undergrad originally, and I don't know why I did that. But you know, <laughs> when I look back, I'm like, oh, um, I didn't like it while I was doing it either. But that shows you that you sort of do what you're taught to do till you realize you have a choice. And I know that sounds kind of like, but you always have a choice. Mm, but we have so many unconscious biases. We have so many things going on as to why we do what we do. And when I was in sales, I, I was incredibly good at it. I was successful at it. And I had, uh, I was studying human behavior and how to change, you know, one product to another, how to get a customer to do this, how to, you know, I was reading. I went through a pretty big breakup when I was 19 and I sort of lost all faith and relationships for a bit. Uh, and that, would, that wasn't the only time that happened, but mm. I started to read like pickup artist books. And mm. so really the interest I had in human behavior was about getting things and about protecting myself from being hurt, like trying to control my external world so that I, it was predictable. And it was when a relationship ended in my late, in my, when I was 27, my late 20s, that I realized like, why am I so good at talking about everything but my feelings? And why didn't I, why am I not good at relationships? Like, why do I end up in the same position all the time? And, you know, I, I really think, you know, from a spiritual lens, that's sort of what awakening is. That's awareness is, is maybe the first time that you're sort of uh, at that dark night of the soul or in that mm -hmm. rock bottom, which pretty much are the same thing of like, why do, why? And you surrender and you're sort of done fighting against the flow. And you finally ask, why do I do this? And, and for me, I realized that I'd never been taught relationships. And I felt like no one told the truth about mm -hmm. relationships. I was angry because I grew up Catholic. So I was like, wow, everyone just told me you get married by 25 to 27 and you have kids and you stay married forever and in love, which we all know that's not mm -hmm. a common story. It's a beautiful story but most of us aren't living it. And when we're not living it, we inherently are in shame. And so I really wanted to rescue myself from the shame first. And then I was like, why is no one else talking about this? And mm -hmm. So that's what led me to start writing about it. And I went back to school and, and here we are.
Yeah. <laughs> um, what I love about your platform is that it does have a very like no nonsense, no bullshit kind of approach. Um, and you're not afraid to kind of tell people like what's up. And what I liked about what you said, um, you know, why aren't people talking about this? There's so many tropes and things that we're taught in relationships or not just relationships, relationships advice, you know, like dating mm. coaches and all that kind of stuff um, about how to, how to pretend in order to catch someone. And like yeah. you said earlier, like to get something, get something out of someone. And um, there was something on your Instagram I, I came across that said, um, you know, don't be afraid to be the one who loves the most. Mm-hmm. And it struck me, it struck me because it, it, there's such a large sense of vulnerability that is required at the risk of debilitating pain to have that overinvestment, quote unquote, overinvestment to be the one that is more in love than the other person. And we're taught in this society, at least like protect yourself at all costs, keep yourself guarded, make sure that this happens before this happens. And we live in relationships in fear then instead of in love. And so uh, love seems to be the thing that most people have questions about. (laughs) Um, It's what most of our songs are written about. It's what most of our movies are made about. Um, So for you and your experience and philosophy, what is the meaning of real true love? And why does it seem so difficult to find? Ah, so I have to solve the mystery of what is true love. (laughs) Uh, And we've all been waiting for this as have I. Uh, You know, I, I... when I was younger, I would have thought that true love was, you know, not that relationships were easy, but maybe that they were more simple, uh, which is such a naive, privileged sort of perspective. And it's a Disney perspective, you know, it's what we're conditioned and taught to believe. And I, in a lot of ways, most of the things that were taught growing up and through our systems is to not pay attention to the truth and participate, you know, to not uh, question things. And when we question things, you know, it often leads to disruption. And so you think about like, if you question what your spiritual practice was when you were young, because you don't choose your religion, you're born into your religion. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, at some point you might or might not have a choice about that because religion is so intertwined with family and culture. Mm -hmm. But the first time you might say like, oh, oh, wait, that that like shaming of my aunt because she got divorced because we're Christian that doesn't make sense. Like that doesn't fit in my heart. That feels weird that we're doing that. And so you either are invited to call that truth forward, that that's not in alignment, or you keep participating, you go back to sleep. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think the same is true with love in that what we've called love is really often codependence and self-abandonment, you know, uh, especially for women, which is, it's not to say that it's not true for men. So if you're male and you're listening, um, it's not to say that it's not true because the self-abandonment for men was more like, go to this job, who cares if you like it, abandon mm-hmm. your emotions. Yeah, uh, You don't have any, you're going to be severed from those. And when you come home, you'll be a stranger in your home. And, and you'll wield power that makes you have to disconnect from your own empathy mm-hmm. because you can't treat people that way and be connected to your heart. Right. But for women, it's really much uh, what the messaging was connection over everything. You know, like you'd rather be in connection to the relationship than connected to self. So both people are in a state of self abandonment. So the relationship is more systemic. It's more. So if you think of like the history of marriage, the history of marriage is that we didn't get married for love till the 19th and 20th century, we had affairs for love. Mm-hmm. You know, really the purpose of marriage 
was to get more in-laws, which and that's from Stephanie Kunz's work, uh, The History of Marriage is a great book. And in that, you know, it's like, it wasn't till we started to uh, own land and then there was the owning of people. So then what happened is marriage also became a way of holding social hierarchies. Leverage. And, right, exactly. Mm -hmm. So if I owned land, I don't want you marrying someone who works on the land. And so it became that, like when we were in an egalitarian society, you know, there's, this is all theoretical, of course, yeah. <laughs> but when we're in egalitarian society, the, you marry, you might marry someone at the tribe next to you because it broadened your safety of geography. You might share resources, you might share um, other things. And so you start to see that the, we're sort of rearranging what relationship means to us, which means it requires more of us. It actually requires us to be present within it where normally we just sent our sort of uh, shell of a self into the interaction or we um, uh, sent our representative. And a lot yeah. of the times our representative is the person who goes on our first five dates, yep. you know? So true love to me is about, um, it's about being free. It's about feeling free. You know, your relationship should never be a prison. And, you know, the truth is, is that you can come and go from a relationship at any time. You're an adult. Uh, and when we recognize that truth rather than ignore it, because recognizing that truth then can bring up anxiety, you know, but we made a commitment, you know, and mm -hmm. then we get into shaming. Uh, but when we actually say, do you want to choose this? Because if you're choosing it and you're choosing it when you can come and go, then that really shows the importance of the choice. And then I might have so much more gratitude for your choice. Because out of anyone in the world, you chose me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think about my partnership, like I was thinking about this the other day, that I don't, I'm not in a relationship with Kylie because she makes me feel good all the time. I'm in a relationship with Kylie because she tells me the truth about who I am being, mm -hmm. which is not always good. You know, so she's calling me to be my best, most expanded self. And that's love that she is willing to brave the the that she loves me more than she needs to be liked by me in that moment. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the definition of the best friendships. I think that's everything. So. I mean, is it easy? No, that's separate. It's hard. That's why true love requires humility and curiosity. Mm -hmm and the willingness to be wrong. Um, and it requi requires kindness and respect. And it requires an honoring of the sacredness of the connection between you and the other. That that connection is, is more important than any connection, not more important than the one to yourself, right. but that its sacredness is all, also honoring your sacredness. Right. And I think that that's so difficult to find because it doesn't feel good all the time. And no. it is difficult to you know, keep that connection with yourself and have this connection with another person. And sometimes people have, feel like they need to choose between the two, um, totally. abandon themselves to get the relationship with the person, or they choose themselves and say, at all costs, I'm not letting anybody else in. Right. So, That's exactly it. What's interesting is you brought up something about um, commitment, like a vow is not a prison. A commitment isn't a prison, like um, that, that freedom that you have. And that I was listening to a podcast you did for your hundredth episode. And you were bring, you were talking about that process, and I remember thinking when I was in my marriage, um, like I've I've been divorced since, but when I was in this marriage, I was I felt trapped, like I felt mm -hmm. like I was in I I would say this thing out loud, like I made my bed, like I have right. to stay, 
and I was suffering mm. with this narcissistic abuse and like all of this back and forth and all the drama and stuff. And I was, I was feeling like, okay, if I can just make this work, I was highly codependent. Um, a lot of self-abandonment and just thought like I had to choose the relationship over how this was making me feel. And, and it also, in addition to all this gaslighting and all that, my reality was just completely like lost on me and no sense of identity and self. And I just thought like, I have to keep this because like what you said earlier, the, the kind of construction of marriage and the idea of judgment of like this person got divorced and, you know, I was raised Christian. And so having all of those pressures keeping me in this prison and I was like, this doesn't feel like love. I chose mm. this and now I don't want to be in it and I don't feel right. like I can leave. And so having that, that fin finally that, that, you know, part, you said something about um, the avoidance of pain. And I resonate with that because I tell that to my listeners all the time. We're so adverse to pain and pain is so much of the catalyst that makes us grow, expands our souls in such big ways. And so when we avoid the pain, we avoid some of the greatest lessons that are meant for us and the whole mm -hmm. purpose of everything. So Kylie right. being in your life. Um, and then I know you guys had a breakup, which is actually, I want to talk to you about that, mm -hmm. um, which was quite significant for you. Even me and uh, our mutual friend, Brandon Alexander, we had an episode where uh, called cracking the chest open and you wrote about your breakup and how much that shattered you and opened you up and like how in that process, you, you kind of found yourself again and found your ability to be able to love again. So can you speak personally about that experience, what it was like to suffer through the process of the separation and what did you learn about yourself in that? Oh man, the suffering, the suffering was, uh, that suffering was real. Oh my gosh. It was about a year ago, maybe just a little over a year ago now. Yeah. And the, you know, it's, it's the hardest thing when two people who love each other want to choose each other, but it's just not working. And, you know, I wasn't willing to stay in, in the position of feeling not chosen. I was done. You know, I was like at this moment of sort of reckoning and she wasn't willing to be in the position of being confused as why she can't choose, you know? So we were like in this state of sort of like, uh, perpetual childhood wounding and it had to fracture and it had to get to a place where you know it was like a no more kind of feeling and you know i i don't think i i mean i'd never been i'd never had a relationship end that had so much love and awareness and maturity and communication and so that was to to end something that you know, consciously, I didn't expect a lot of people to understand because, you know, it, as was true, a lot of the people's response to it was like, but you love each other, that's enough. And, you know, mm -hmm. there's that, that famous line that sometimes love is not enough, you know, because it's this idea that our relationship ending means the love ends or that our relationship ending means that we're not successful, that we failed. Mm -hmm. And that's because we have perpetuated this idea that being together is success. Right. Not being in love, which doesn't always mean being together, to be mm. in love, not to be in the state of love, not in this uh, shared uh, in love sort of romanticized idea. And so, you know, it's much like what you were saying about your divorce, that you're in this state and you're saying, I made my bed, mm -hmm. you know, which is very much the reinforcement that society has said. Think about how many people say that to each other. You've made your bed. Like, mm -hmm. this is yours. This is your cross to bear. 
this is and like you're now the Christ on the cross, you know, as where I say, like, sometimes the dream you had is not, sometimes the dream you had is not the dream you have. Mm -hmm. Sometimes what you wanted is not what you want. And that's the whole point of choosing what you want is that mm -hmm. it's allowed to change. And so the consciousness level that you choose a relationship is sometimes the relationship can't expand as your consciousness expands, mm. as your soul expands, as your spirit expands. And that the idea that the, the relationship has failed because it can't hold your container, as opposed to recognizing that the relationship actually succeeded, it's what brought you to the place of expansion. And that's such a different way of seeing relationships, which yeah. I, I gotta tell you, I wanted to be like, fuck everybody, fuck this. I don't want to share any of this shit. Like you don't have a right to move inside my life. You mm -hmm. know, you know, like that uh, garden yeah. is I'm going in. Mm -hmm. But I was like, what is it like to do a podcast <laughs> from the cocoon? Yeah. You know, what is it like to be in alchemy and share alchemy? What is it like to be in transformation and share the cracking? You know, most of us see the like before and after, yeah. which I think now you'd see like me alone in the woods crying in a cabin. <laughs> and then now Kai and I in a relationship, that's sort of the before and after. And it looks like, uh, so that's what you do is you just get back together. And I keep getting asked this question of like, what did you do to get back together? Mm -hmm. And I say to people, it's not about getting back together. You're asking the wrong question. It's about yeah. moving forward. I... I lost her. I let her go. I was not expecting to get back together. I was ready to get to move forward. You know, I always say it's like about moving forward, getting together. It's about meeting them on your path. And if it's not them, you won't care. Yeah. You know, and that's the hard to know when you're in the pain. So if you're listening to this, fuck, I know it's hearing me say this is like, sure, buddy, you know, easy <laughs> for you. You got back together. Mm -hmm. But I have to tell you, I, it was severed. I was, there was, I wasn't interested unless it met me in an expanded state. Mm -hmm. And I mean that the, the cracking that occurred, you know, it really made me realize that sometimes new pain is old pain. Mm -hmm. And when I went through my breakup at 19, I went through a breakup at, at like 18 and then 1920. The one at 18 was my first real heartbreak. M my first real significant one. My, you know, the other one was like a weak relationship in <laughs> junior high. Yeah. It was significant though. We, yeah. we often minimize um, a child's experience of heartbreak because you're just a kid. But love is so unlimited to a child. Yes. You know, so at 19, that us. breakup. Right, right. And, and at 19, that was... Oh man, that was, I never met that low of a place, that deep of a place. But my response to that was to not believe in love anymore, to uh, start to binge drink more, to try to have one night stands. <laughs> you know, like I say try because the first was not very successful. There's no tender then. <laughs> right. There was no tender. You had, to, you had to work it on the dance floor to get it then. Um, but yeah, you know, it was uh, my coping strategies were all ways of avoiding dealing with my grief. Mm. And it was in this sort of fracturing that occurred last year that I didn't drink anymore. Um, I stopped consuming marijuana, uh, which I wasn't doing very much, but I, I wanted to be so present 
to everything I was dealing with, which I got to tell you, like had me on the edge of probably the darkest parts of uh, my psyche, my experience, mm -hmm. my soul. And honestly, it, it was the most beautiful experience. I wouldn't take any of it back. And I, I just had this consistent experience of recognizing that in the pain was love, that the pain I was experiencing was evidence of my ability to love. And I mm. remember just thinking like, uh, and I know you listen to some of my podcasts, uh, I, there was one that I did about like, your heart isn't broken, it's open, that it's mm. really about um, the very things. This is what I find fascinating about heartbreak is the very thing that made me want to close my heart in heartbreak was the very evidence that love exists. You know, the very thing that makes you want to avoid it is, and that's because we don't, we're not taught the tools to confront heartbreak. We're not taught that mm -hmm. as a child, as a teenager, as an adult, you're going to go through initiatory processes. You're going to go through cocoons, many of them, and you're not going to like any of them. Yeah. You're only yeah. going to like after. And I was listening to this talk from Francis Weller, a psychotherapist who is also talks a lot about spiritual spirituality. And he said, alchemy doesn't give a shit about the alchemist. That it doesn't give a shit about you. It doesn't care how you feel. It just cares that you transform. That's mm -hmm. all it gives a shit about. And I was like, that is such a truth. Mm -hmm. Like your transformation doesn't care how you feel in the transformation. It just cares that you're becoming better and more expanded. Right. And so that's, you know, what relationships serve. You know, I'm sure that the person you were before your divorce is is so different than the person you are now. Amen to that. that right? <laughs> The transformation was insane. I went through, first of all, thank you for sharing that. That was, I love that idea of like breaking, when we break that open, that breaking, if you will, is essentially opening us to new levels of love, new levels of consciousness and new levels of expansion. Um, it was so, it was so difficult in the process of one, leaving the bed that I thought I made and then going into all these little micro relationships, I called them, <laughs> and trying to <laughs> assess. Um, I've been or, in a few of those, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, attain validation, attain what I thought was love, connection, touch, affection, um, just all of those things because I wasn't, I still wasn't choosing myself and still wanting to kind of fill the gap or fill the void. And instead of that, instead of alcohol or marijuana, I was using relationships to try to like patch and numb what it is I was feeling from the separation of this choice that I had made and this quote unquote mm -hmm. failure that I did and um, leaving a marriage that was incredibly toxic for me. But after all, after going through all of that and finally getting myself to a place, it took two years for me to get to a place where I was like present enough to deal with it that mm -hmm. I was like, Oh wow, I've never actually chosen myself. Mm -hmm. I've never gotten to a place where I've actually chosen myself chosen my connection with myself, understood my value and worth. Whoa, oh, this is a kind of a, I'm behind the curve here. Like this is kind of a big deal to get to this <laughs> it's pretty place. Normal, pretty know, normal. Pretty normal. Yes. Odd. You realize it after, you know, yeah. like, am I the only one who doesn't love themselves? And then it's like, <laughs> wait, no, we're good. <laughs> you find out it's okay. Everybody's kind of dealing with this, but um, mm -hmm. there was, there was such a, there was such a freedom that ended up happening though through that process of, of what I would call an awakening. It slapped me awake. It was so painful. And the person that I became out of it, that butterfly as you experienced as well, I'm sure it, it I was so thankful. 
for that person afterwards. It wasn't like, oh, you this, blah, 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 I hate you. Um, it was like, wow, like this transformed me to a level of person that I could not have become without it. And so not that I'm wanting to ever get back with that person, but like <laughs> moving <laughs> I should forward go through that again, but that is actually what people do is if they mm -hmm. don't accept the invitation of the cracking, they'll get in a relationship with another narcissist with another, yep. whatever it is, which is not to minimize the, the trauma and pain that actually creates the, 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 the longing or mm -hmm. attraction to those relationships It's to say that you know, the way out of uh, one of the first steps out of uh, trauma cycles is to recognize you have a choice. Uh, and so that's a huge moment. And that's what dark nights of the soul. That's what rock bottoms. That's what awakenings offer is like, are you ready to choose? You know, and mm -hmm. I, I remember listening to a thing from Alan Watts where he said, I love him. When you, yeah, and right. Yeah. <laughs> and when he said, uh, when you wake up to conscious choice, you become the God you were taught to praise. Mm. Like you realize yep. that you're your own creator, which yeah. is not, again, he doesn't mean that sort of sacrilegiously. He no. just means it from the state of, although don't minimize your power, you mm -hmm. know, don't minimize the, your ability to choose your ability to shape your life. Mm -hmm. It's a big awareness. Hey, to think you don't actually have to do stuff you don't want to do that yeah. to me was mind blowing. Like <laughs> when I learned that, like, wait, yeah. what? <laughs> It's like, so I, I can choose the path. I don't have to just walk a path that everyone walks. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting. It's super interesting because there is, there are all these tropes and things that obligations that we feel like we need to fulfill to a society. I need to be married by a certain age. I'm going to have a baby by a certain age. I got blah, blah, blah. And, um, which are not true, but those pressures, especially for women, I could speak as a woman, um, a feeling, feeling that like you're, you're not enough or you're not validated enough or you're behind and you're going to lose out on, you know, the Disney story you were talking about earlier, if mm -hmm. this doesn't happen by a certain time and that scarcity mindset driving the energy behind the choices that they're making, the choices that we're making, which then puts us in a very masculine energy, which decreases the polarity for us drawing in a partner that's attracted to I don't know, a masculine woman, I guess. But like, <laughs> um, there's something you said that I thought was really important because it has to do with the narratives that we're telling ourselves and the stories and the way in which we guard ourselves and keep ourselves from opening up. And you said, when I love people, they, mm. and fill in the blank. Um, can you explain like what you mean by that and, and the, the realization behind what comes with filling in that blank? Yeah. Uh, so let's go back to like my example when I was 19. Uh, the relationship ended in a bit of a shit show. Uh, there was some betrayal on her side. Um, and what's interesting about this story to like someone hearing it, which I, and then to see it from a perspective of more awareness, um, which I don't mean condescendingly. I just mean that I didn't see it from that perspective when I was yeah. 19. Uh, it's just that you're limited, you know, it's like, you can't see the forest when you're in the trees. And, uh, so when I was 19, she went away to the States to go for a soccer scholarship. I'm Canadian. She mm -hmm. went to the States for a soccer scholarship. We, you know, I, I, I'd say by, you know, at least in my experience, I was really in love and I relationship really came easy to me. I, I was like fully signed up for the Disney story. <laughs> I'll take two. Uh, but yeah, so I remember she was going down there and it was like right before the summer she had to go. And we had a conversation. We were like, okay, well, we can see 
other people, we just have to tell each other about it before that occurs. And I have to tell you, like, that's an important moment to recognize because I didn't want to see other people. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there's the first moment of self-abandonment. So had I not self-abandoned there, I wouldn't have found myself in a future moment. Mm. So that shows you how important it is to look back upon your life, your whole life, if you've never done it, and say, where was it that I took a right when I should have taken a left? Mm -hmm. Where are all the whys in the road? Because you'll start to connect the dots looking back, and you'll start to see that you're in the perfect place today. So you'll experience shame for the recognition and guilt for the recognition of where those choices could have been better. But you actually have to sit because those are the truth. And you already know the truth. You've just not paid attention to the truth. Mm -hmm. And so when I claim that truth, I feel free because I'm like, oh, okay, let's get to the next part of the choose your own adventure that I chose previously and ended in destruction. So <laughs> she ends up coming back to Canada in October for Canadian Thanksgiving. And she brings one of her friends who is the running back for the football team and looks like Adonis. <laughs> and, you know, he's like, I want to see Canadian Thanksgiving. And I'm like, it's the same as fucking U.S. Thanksgiving. It's just a month earlier. It's not that special. And so we, I am at dinner at her house with her stepmom, or sorry, her mom, her stepdad, him and her. And I'm like, something's going on here. Mm -hmm. Like I have this awareness. And I remember having that awareness at the table. And, you know, like if I was cool at the time and not a doormat, I would have been like, peace out, Brussels sprout. I'm gone. This is done. But no, I ate dinner. Maybe the mashed potatoes were good. I don't know. But we, <laughs> I remember saying goodbye to her and having tears in my eyes and saying, you know, something along the lines of like, is this how you tell me? Hmm. And I left that house a different person. I got in my car and I know as, you know, men tend to do, we drive faster when we're hurt. That's dumb, but we do. So I'm like driving and I remember thinking to myself like, well, I was just so overwhelmed with emotion. I don't even know. I probably put it on like freaking uh, boys to men just to make it worse. Mm. And I get the difference in me after that was like a month later, it was right before Halloween. A month later, I went out and I tried to, I, I brought a girl back to my parents' house. That's just the worst decision ever. If you're going to have a one-night stand, don't bring a person back to your parents' house. This is how much of a one-night stand rookie I was. Mm, yeah. You know, I'd never uh, been sort of irresponsible with my sexual energy. And I went to uh, have sex with her and I couldn't get an erection. Mm. And... I'd never had that happen. I was like, what's happening here? And I was so confused by that, but it was like one of the true first moments that I recognized that my like, I didn't listen to it. So this is in hindsight, let me tell you. Mm -hmm. uh, I had so much shame about that. Yeah. And then I realized, you know, like that my heart is literally obviously connected to that part of my body, but it is emotionally connected to it. And you think about like, what I did further past that moment, like from the next couple of years, was I would drink enough to get rid of my values mm. and, and I would put my body in unsafe positions and I would continue to self-abandon and I never dealt with the grief. I never dealt with the grief of that breakup. And it wasn't until 
years later that I did till really, I would say truthfully, probably in my mid thirties. Hmm. But I remember being 35 and being on a call. I'm 41 now, about almost 42. And I remember being on a call with this relationship writer named Kelly Marceau. And she said to me, Groves, have you ever actually let a woman love you? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> you know, but it's like one of those is like, oh, fuck, what was that? Yeah. <laughs> and so I get off the phone with her and I'm like, I haven't let anyone love me since I was 19. Mm. And I'd been in a five year relationship and engaged. Wow. I ran from every woman who could love me. I pursued women who were just out of relationships. I had, you know, really in my experience at the time, significant relationships. But I realized that I chose partners who sort of had their own upper limit mm -hmm. or I myself chose them or I, I myself ran. And I started to think about like, what is the upper limit that I hit? And I realized when you complete the sentence, when I let people love me, they, and when I love people, they, you recognize what you are always sabotaging yourself from ever experiencing again. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for me, think of 19 year old me when I left that house, when I love people, they betray me. I lose myself. I don't stand up for myself. I, um, when I love people, when I let people love me, they lie, they cheat, they devastate me. And you have to remember that it's in that moment, although the moment is literally the moment of not honoring myself about the opening of the relationship. Mm -hmm. But that's in hindsight. The, the physical somatic experience of the Thanksgiving dinner is that all love leads to devastation and to a feeling I did not have the capacity to hold. That's why I drank. That's why I distracted myself. And not realizing that in that moment of the dinner is actually my greatest lesson, is my greatest wisdom, hmm. is my greatest, everything that could save me is actually in that pain. Yeah. To make it so, I will not get to the betray, lose myself. Now look, you can never guarantee that someone won't betray you. Right. But what you can guarantee is that if they betray you, it won't be about you. Mm -hmm. because when you love people, you love yourself. When you let people love you, you don't abandon yourself. So your relationship doesn't complete you. You are complete and you bring a complete self to a relationship. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that was a massive lesson that I didn't learn until <laughs> much later in life yeah. too. So it's important that people explore their upper limits because usually it participates unconsciously. It's why we choose the partners we choose. Um, but it's also why we have the ways we handle conflict, the ways we handle closeness. So like some people chase closeness, you know, like if there is space, they can't handle it. So they close it down. And most people would know that it's like anxiously attached. Yeah. And other people can't handle closeness. So they run from it, but they are both closeness injuries. They're just expressed differently. Right. So it's important that people recognize what are their strategies to never get to a place that they've been before because 
what the real solution is. How do you become the person who never gets to that place again because you have more wisdom and you've implemented it into your life? And that's the alchemization is the integration. Right. Yeah. That is the alchemization is the integration. Preach. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so it's interesting. I only heard that a few months ago um, when I love people, they, and I thought about it for myself and I was like, wow, my what was yours? Um, truth was when I love people, they're indifferent. Mm. And, you know, given my situation with my father and like my partners and things, I would essentially run after people whose love I had to earn because I knew that if like someone just loved me openly, it didn't fit the narrative. Right. You'd have so, to change your worth. <laughs> exactly. Right. I would have to think that like, Oh, I was worthy of something. So, yeah. um, it, but as a, I mean, growing up as a, a child or, or whatever, you know, I was, I was one of the, I, I would consider myself an ugly duckling story kind of, um, where I was, you know, I had glasses and braces and frizzy hair and I moved to a new school and the kids made fun of me or whatever. And then, um, you know, right after junior high went into high school and had like a, she's all that kind of thing. Like I lost hey. a bunch of weight and my hair <laughs> straight and all this stuff. And I, I had the same team. thing. That's oh yeah. And then it was like, suddenly I got all this attention and the attention didn't fit, especially if of sexual attentions, which I was not comfortable with. Um, but there was just all this attention that didn't fit the narrative that people weren't interested in me. And so then I would be the most interested in someone that was not interested in me and then it would prove the narrative over and so and if i could win their love then i was worthy of being loved because i was able to prove that i was valuable enough and this is mm -hmm. how i act with my father and so you know in the past and so seeing that correlation with that relationship and i was like that is such a powerful thing to recognize so i hope you guys listening uh, are filling in the blank with your own thing because that for me before i just i just uh have met my soulmate about four months ago and this person who the relationship, yes, all the snaps, <laughs> yeah, that's um, amazing. which completely shifts and changes all the stories I've told myself in the past. Mm -hmm. And so, and I didn't, it's like weird. Like, you know how you get to that sense of that space of healing where you finally accepted all the pain and you finally broke your heart open and you're like, okay, I surrender to myself. Like I do all the work. You're not completely healed, but you're like in that space. Mm -hmm. And then someone comes along and just knocks your complete socks off. And you're like, I didn't, like I thought this was possible, but I didn't know it was possible, mm -hmm. you know, and to have that kind of love that, that, that completely changes the, the whole game, but you know, enough about me. <laughs> it's just been, it's been beautiful to get That's to beautiful. how those narratives have shaped my worldview about the value I felt about myself for so long. Mm. And when I abandoned those old narratives and looked at the pain that I experienced as the catalyst for my growth, and not the excuse for my lack. Oof, that, mm. I mean, it completely, it meant that I had to be like happy instead of right. Mm. Like, I had to choose to be Big happy moment. in this new reality instead of having to be right about something that I was holding in a sense of protection because I didn't ever want to be there again. You know, like if I knew that mm. this is how people behaved and this was how they harmed me, then I'll never get hurt again. But yeah, I was only certain. hurting myself. It was certain. Right. Exactly. Yeah, it creates certainty. And I mean, what a beautiful awareness. And and to know that like the the mechanism of choosing someone like you're saying, like who sort of modeled your wounding like you experienced with your father. And mine is modeling the wounding that I had as a child too, originally, mm -hmm. is that the 
survival strategy. You know, it comes from a place of love for ourselves that we want to feel this story, that we want to figure it out, not realizing that it's not by finding it outside of you that you figure it out. It's by figuring it out within you and then bringing that part of you to the relational story. And I, what I love what you said is like when you let go of the old narrative, and allowed a new one to be born because it doesn't just exist. You know, yeah. you have to sit in the uncomfortable space between in the in the alchemization process. There's a grief for the old one too. Mm -hmm. There's a grief for what it's made us choose. There's a grief for the death of the younger self that has to occur. And you know what's that? I think for someone listening to sort of simplify it is if you're attracted to unavailable people and you say no more, I will not pursue unavailability. Here's what it looks like. I'm not. I will always say no to these things. What you'll notice is that at first you'll continue to get validation of the way you saw the world, but you'll find yourself in moments you've never been in because you're not seeking to be right. You're seeking to feel good. You're seeking to love yourself. And so if you're willing to let go of the belief that everyone's unavailable or that everyone's this or that or that, then you'll actually start to see people who are not because you're willing to be wrong. And you know that's the thing about the human bias is we have unconscious biases, we have a confirmation bias, which means we seek information that confirms what we believe. Yes. So when you can recognize a belief that's bullshit, or at least that prevents you, because not saying that uh, some people aren't narcissistic or some people, it's saying like, not everybody is. So mm -hmm. if you can recognize that there are flaws in the belief, that it's not a always or a never or a whatever, that there's then you you will notice different people. And when you notice different people, the world you want strength of becomes validated. Mm -hmm. you know, and I think that's a, gosh, that's not an easy journey because you have to step no. into total <laughs> uncertainty to do that. And most of us would rather be certain and right than uncertain and have everything we want. Right. Which that sounds weird, but it's true. Yeah. Until it's not true. Exactly. Because it's a protected state. Like, okay, if I know everything and this is the certainty, if I know men don't choose me because of my size or because of my race or because I'm smart or because, you know, whatever else I was telling myself, then when they don't, I don't, I won't be disappointed and I'll yeah. be able to say, okay, see, I knew it. You were just, blah, 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 blah. um, and then you kind of, it's like, um, you'd said it in one of your podcasts, the narcissism of pain. Like the way in which we yeah. hold on to certain identities or narratives that hurt us. And can you expand on that? Yeah, I, that was from uh, that uh, the guy who I mentioned earlier, Francis Weller. It was from one of his, uh, he has an audio series called The Alchemy of Initiation. And in it, he talked about how, uh, he didn't use the term narcissism of pain, but he talked about how our pain becomes special, mm. like that we become a special kind of injured a special kind of traumatized, a special kind. And then what that does is it becomes isolating. So then I, I go into the mode, no one will understand what I've been through. No one will understand my pain. And so in that, and that's where I use that term, that it becomes sort of a, a protective, I mean, narcissism in and of itself as a traditional DSM diagnosis yeah. is also a protective mechanism. Um, it's just ultra avoidance and a total lack of self-worth. Mm -hmm. And and so when I used it in the context of that, what I meant is that there's a specialness to it that leaves us disconnected. Mm -hmm. And and not when you can start to see uh, in the podcast that you're referring to, 
it was referencing a line that he used that one of his mentors told him that he that Francis needed to practice the yoga of ordinariness mm. and that he was ordinary that his pain was ordinary and i really just started to see like how much we because we make our pain special which isn't dismissing its right. significance but because we make it special we isolate and then we draw a circle around us but when you make it that your pain is ordinary again not minimizing it you start to see that other people suffer the way you suffer and then you are now connected to everyone rather than disconnected from mm -hmm. everyone you're connected to other people who've been through what you've been through and then this idea that you should be exiled for your pain is actually that you're in community because of your pain but we're not using our pain to connect we're using community to heal the pain mm. often what can happen in communities that are based on certain types of experiences is that there's still a bond over the suffering not using the community to actually heal the suffering and making it part of our story but not part of our narrative you know mm. those are two different things yeah. part of my story is that's what happened to me um, part of my narrative is that's defined who I am mm -hmm. which doesn't mean it can't be like yes that moment occurred and now I'm all powerful and I rose like a phoenix awesome but do you use that pain as a way to connect you know and that's it's interesting how we can get caught in those worlds yeah you know? and we yeah. can tell when we go to when we're oversharing when we go to some of our suffering before someone has learned earned the right to hear about it yeah yeah gosh that's important um, mm. there's some, some people that I've known in my life that, that do that very thing and they come forth with that first and, you know, this is my story and this is what happened to me and this is why no one will ever understand. And this is why, da, da, da. and it's like, oh yeah, I've been through that. You could never understand what I've been through, you know, whatever. I had a girl who, um, she wrote a post on, and I talked about this on one of my other podcasts, but she wrote this post that like, I felt I could have written myself. Like it was mm. so palpable to some of the things that I have felt in my life. And, um, as encouragement and, you know, I, I regret doing this now. Cause I was like, ah, I shouldn't, I stepped out of line, I guess. But like, as an encourager, I came to her and said, wow, like I've been through this and I, um, I can relate to how you feel mm -hmm. and try to offer some sense of like relating the bond, right? Like healing yeah. through the suffering kind of thing. Ooh, she ripped me a new one. You can't <laughs> ever understand why my blah, 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 you know, it just went to town. Yeah. And I was like, wow, like she's really committed to her narrative. Like I'm, I, who am mm. I to step in and try to take that away from her? Um, because this is what makes her special. And yeah, that's unique. That's interesting. Cause it's like, she puts the story out there to be witnessed, but only on her terms. Right. Mm. And, and, you know, we don't share our stories to, um, to ensure a certain type of reaction. Cause if you do that, you're going to be proven, <laughs> you're going to be disappointed. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, into you know her healing would be to be witnessed for it by someone who says wow i can relate to what you've been through um which it's interesting when we get caught in the specialness of our suffering mm -hmm. um, because it's we're also in a world that really can in a lot of ways celebrate the specialness of suffering and what i mean by that is you know like you're you're on a slippery slope in a conversation about on her post about her post yeah but she put it out to the world you know for a reason to serve something but then to defend it mm -hmm. you know and i 
it's a it's a really interesting sort of conundrum to be in because we want to <laughs> witness someone's pain but then we get in trouble for witnessing their pain yeah. we realize you know if you use the right language and you did the right thing it's not about you right which i realized very quickly but yeah. i thought this was interesting because when we do talk about relationships we also we also do that with our partners Mm-hmm. And we also come to them and say, witness my pain and witness what I'm going through. And, you know, like you could never know. And you don't let people in. Like we, we want to hold to those narratives and, and, and which is conflicting why you're in the relationship in the first place. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, the other day Kai was telling me about something and I went into like fix it mode. She's like, I just need you to listen. And I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about that part. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, and that I know normally to ask, like, do you want me to listen or yeah. help? Yeah. And I forgot to ask and it led me to being reminded that I need to ask. But it, yeah. you know, sometimes it, as you were saying, we just need it witnessed. And sometimes we want our partner to participate. Mm-hmm. It's up to the person's own wounding to choose. Yeah. Um, because as men, we're like, can I fix it? Can I mm-hmm. be significant? Can I be significant? Yeah. Yeah, that is, that is definitely a thing. Um, we're going to switch gears here a little bit and get into some of our listener questions. All right. And I got a it. lot, so I don't have enough time to do all of them. Um, and I want, if, if you can't, can you do rapid fire? Like, can we do like. Sure, let's rapid fire it. Questions? I'll do my best to be concise. Okay. Um, let's see. So, first question How do you call in a conscious partnership? And is it possible if you're a conscious person that the partner you have can grow to be? Yes, for sure. A partner can do that. Often this idea of consciousness or conscious, I'm conscious, they're not, or I'm, that actually is an implied hierarchy. So Mm -hmm. right away by doing that, you've created a, I'm this and you're that. And so inevitably it creates a way to never be met. So we have to be mindful of like what I call conscious is actually now creating a, I'm more aware than you. I have more emotional intelligence than you. Well, if you're communicating to me from that space, then you're instantly not inviting me from an open space to meet you there. So Mm -hmm. I might continue to feel like I don't know enough. I'm not enough. And so this can, this is a common pattern in relationship is that uh, one partner feels like they're broken and the other partner feels like they've got it all together. Mm -hmm. And, the person who's got it all together does not want to not feel like they have it all together. So it's designed and the person who's broken, that's an identity usually that comes from childhood. So one's over-functioning, one's under-functioning. And this is about, okay, well, can you call in conscious partnership? I'm always like a little mindful of that word because it feels um, abstract mm-hmm. is can you call in a partnership where both people want to grow, both people are open, both people are curious, both people want to learn? Yes. Um, and it is about creating a safe space for your partner to learn, to grow. You know, often we're like, read this book or you don't love me. Mm. Do this thing or you don't love me, which doesn't mean you can't have a bottom line. Bottom lines are really important. It's also about saying like, if they say, I don't want to read that book or I don't want to go to therapy, you can say, okay, well, what is it about it that you don't like? What mm-hmm. is a path that we can take or that you can take that would help to contribute to our relationship or whatever it is that we're creating. And that way they get to be in charge of their own. If you're the one constantly giving them books, constantly sending them podcasts, you're over-functioning. You're not allowing them to learn how to show up for themselves. So you can create it for sure within it. You know, there's, whenever you bring a truth forward in a relationship, you invite the relationship to deepen or fracture. You know, that's the way it works. 
And so you can't be afraid of losing. I mean, you can be afraid of losing your partner, but you can't hold something back because you're afraid of losing your partner. Yeah. Because then that means the relationship will be based on not you being fully your authentic and truthful self. Um, and how do you call one word? You become the things you want. You live all of it. You want someone honest? Are you honest? You want someone who communicates well? Do you? Mm-hmm. Truly, though? Yeah. You know? Um, you want someone who's in their values? Are you in your values? Mm-hmm. You know, like I hear that's one I hear a lot where someone's like, I really want a great partner. And they're in a partnership. And so they're like, I'll just wait till I meet someone else. And I'm like, the person You're not who being a good partner. <laughs> Exactly. And I'm like, the person who you want, who has high values and respects you and loves you is going to walk right by you because you're in a relationship. Mm -hmm. Much like when someone's like, I'm really looking for a deep, loving, intimate relationship and they're having one night stands all the time. It's not a judgment of the one night stands. I could give a shit what you do. It's what are you telling your body by doing those things? What are you telling your true intentions by doing those things? Mm -hmm. You know, and that because we send a very confusing message to ourselves and to mm-hmm. the universe, to whatever God, whatever you want to call it. Um, and, and you don't even have to believe in any of that shit. It doesn't matter to me. Just know that when you're doing that on a Thursday, you could be somewhere else on that Thursday. So what some people might call that is fate. And so <laughs> what I would say to you is fate's not going to work for you if you're not working for you. Mm, so you can't yeah. complain about the outcomes you're not getting in your life when you're not choosing. You're like, I want to be a vegetarian, but you eat steak all the time. That's the same idea. Yeah. So you have to choose your way towards what you want. Yeah. Beautiful. You know, I got a few questions that were, you know, people were saying, um, how do you, can you be a spiritual person and be with someone who's not a spiritual person? And it's the same kind of dynamic. Um, okay. So the next one is, um, how do you know when to walk away from a relationship? Well, that's a tough one. I'm going to give a big first, it depends. And I don't know all the answers to yeah. whoever's asking this. It's important that you first acknowledge that you want to, or you possibly want to, because that's the truth. Mm-hmm. One thing is if it's safe to do so is to bring that forward to your partner. Like here's the reality. If I want to stay in this relationship, if you want to stay in this relationship, here's what it needs to look like. You know, a lot of people, especially in the research, men, will tolerate a relationship that's sort of mediocre, maybe even a little less than that. Um, But women have a much higher barometer to the health of a relationship, and that's mainly based on survival needs. Mm -hmm. You know, they need women needed to know the nuances of emotion and feeling to survive, to not get hurt, to, you know, yeah. all those things. And in, so there's one, that part of like navigating and dancing in the space of having the conversation, calling for the truth. The other part is start to do your research. Cause that, after you ask a question like that, often we end up in a, a situation where we feel the way you felt, you know, I made my bed. This is a commitment I've made. This is, those are all constructs that Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean we're minimizing the beauty of commitment. It's we're saying like, is commitment now have you in a prison? Like you have one life and maybe multiple depending on your belief system. (laughs) It doesn't really matter because you're in this life. Right. So in this life, do you want to live it being imprisoned to someone else's vow 
like to a value you created when you were 19, when you were 25, when you thought your life might look different, when you thought right. your partner wasn't going to be an addict or whatever it is. Again, not minimizing the compassion we should have for healing, but someone else's healing is always our healing. Mm -hmm. Like an addict's healing is not saying like, hey, I love you enough. Here's some more money. Here's some more. It's I love you enough. I can no longer participate in this destruction. Here's what I'm willing to do. And so when I think about leaving or staying in a relationship, there's a really great book called Too Good to Leave, Too Bad to Stay. Mm -hmm. Fantastic book. I recommend reading that. The next question I ask people is, would leaving or staying be abandoning yourself? It's a great question to ask. Do you have a habit of abandoning yourself? That's important to ask because sometimes leaving is abandoning ourselves. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, when I was thinking about leaving my relationship before our relationship ended, I remember asking myself, do I have more to learn here? And immediately it was like, yeah, you do. And I was like, well, the saboteur in me was like, let's go. This is too hard, <laughs> you know? Um, so that's the question I always ask myself, like, is this asking me to grow or is this a no? Hmm. Is this asking me to grow or is this a no? Okay. Yeah. I like that. And yeah, I think that's a good place to start with. And also sometimes, you know, there's one question in too good to leave, too bad to stay where she says, if your partner were to become everything you wanted and change everything, would you want them? Yeah. Would you want them then? Yeah. And I think a lot of the times we ask questions like, how do you know when you should leave? When we actually already know the answer, but we're trying to seek validation of our feeling or avoidance of our feeling. Mm -hmm. So what I would say to people in this situation is, I don't care what you do. I don't because it would influence my what I would say. Right. All I care is that you find more truth. Even if you leave, and you realize that was the wrong decision. You only know that because you left. Mm -hmm. So that's beautiful. That's how we learn how we value things. Sometimes you have to lose things to know their value, but also to know their weight. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, okay, the next question. Um, what are some things to pay attention to for future relationships if you've been attracted to narcissists in the past? Well, I mean, I would research. The hard thing about the word narcissist is that what we call a narcissist and the true definition of a narcissist are often a little different. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was reading a really great post from Sarut uh, the other day, and she was saying that um, what we often call narcissism is actually abuse. Mm. Uh, which I thought was an interesting distinction, which of course we don't need to get into like an argument about the definitions. Yeah. The important thing is knowing that you feel like you've been gaslit. You feel like you've been abused likely um, in, you know, like you've been in a relationship with a narcissist. So you know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Like you don't question whether you're in a relationship with a narcissist no. when you're in a relationship. Right. <laughs> and, but the more important thing of this is like, let's say that the person I, I'm going to deal with sort of like the whole scale of what we label narcissism can start at just avoidant behavior. Mm -hmm. And then it can go to the full blown sort of clinical definition. Yeah. So if we start, it doesn't matter where your partners lie on that <laughs> scale, scale, right? It's that there's something about what you've been attracting that you don't like. I would say that the, the reality of anyone on that scale is that there's overt unavailability and um, distancing. And so uh, distancing, hot and cold, that kind of stuff. 
And so what I would invite is, you know, I always think like, if you're attracted to unavailability, it's because you're unavailable. So when you love yourself, when you truly do the work of getting to know yourself, now love yourself isn't just like light some candles, read a book, meditate. Yeah. That's part of it. But it's actually making decisions that reinforce the truth that you love yourself. So as you were saying, like when you started dating again and you let go of that old narrative and let this new one in, you realized that your worth had to start. It was being born. And it's mm -hmm. an uncomfortable uh, thing because all of a sudden there's something warm in your chest and you're like, ooh, I got something <laughs> yeah. good here. And, and it's an unconditional feeling. And you realize that when you do the work on yourself and you learn your story, you learn your pains, you learn your traumas, you learn whatever it is that you've been through that shapes why that is actually a viable relationship choice. You know, often we ask questions like, why do I attract or uh, I always attract narcissists. What do I do? It's why am I a match for them? Mm -hmm. What is it about my relational patterns that are a match for that? Why do I, am I susceptible to bullshit? Why do I ignore red flags? And what inevitably you'll likely be brought back to is your childhood and what you learned about love and mm -hmm. whether your needs were validated or not, whether you had people who were present for you. And then you go through the process of grieving that, of learning about that, because through learning about that, you become the adult you always needed. You start to grow up inside your own body, inside yourself. And you realize that when you see a red flag, even just on Bumble or <laughs> Tinder, uh, you don't even participate anymore because that shit doesn't fuck with you anymore. Like yeah. you're not even, it's not even in your wheelhouse to swipe right to a guy with a mirror shirtless picture, like shirtless <laughs> yeah. mirror, whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, Mirrorless, yeah, yeah. shirtless, whatever. <laughs> Either way, a no, picture here, that, <laughs> and people might go, well, that's judgmental. And I'm going, that's how humans actually categorize people. Humans are judgmental. Mm -hmm. People have always been superficial. It's just that Tinder exemplified our superficiality. Mm -hmm. It's not yeah. new. This generation is actually less sexually active than previous generations. That's interesting to know. We think really? out there banging everybody. Yeah. <laughs> And so, wow. I mean, this, you know, when we think about that, you know, what I find fascinating about like Tinder and Bumble or whatever, it doesn't really matter, is one person goes like, God, all that's on my Tinder is narcissists. And another person finds their partner who's a really loving, caring person. One person doesn't have a, a Tinder with viruses in it and the other one <laughs> have a clean version. It's that there's something that the person who codes uh, the person who's in the loving, healthy relationship codes as red flags that the other person doesn't. They might not even ever get into a chat with someone right. who has red flags. And if they do, they recognize the minimizing, the gaslighting, the bullshit, the immaturity, the dick pic, whatever mm -hmm. it is. And You're so like there's the line. my life right now because that mm -hmm. was my first year out of my divorce going through all these men who were treating me like shit. And I was like, what is the deal with men in New York and blah, blah, blah. And then insert the city. That's like, <laughs> men in women in, I hear they are all time. like this. And yeah. that's what I was coming in contact with. But then when I, we, and I changed my lens and I had that whole thing or whatever, I actually met my partner on Bumble. <laughs> right. Which I said I would never go back to because there's just shitty people on there. Sorry. Go ahead. Yes. No, that's, 100%. I mean, that's evidence of what happens when yeah. all of a sudden you're like, I don't need connection more than I need me. Mm -hmm. And that's a big, big moment because most of us seek relationship to avoid self, to right. avoid feelings. 
So this is about learning to sit in your fucking feelings. Learn how to sit in your grief, in your shame. And you know, if like anything I'm saying, kind of, sort of, you're like, mm, I don't like what he's saying. Good. Because that's, I don't, you know what? Like, I remember hearing this early from Carolyn Mays. She said to a friend of mine who was interviewing her on a podcast, he, she said, I'd rather, I'd rather you know I respect you than you like me. And Say that again, like, please. I would rather you know I respect you than you like me. Boom. And that's, for me, it's like the truth it doesn't feel good all the time, but I will never live without being connected to that. And that's why I'm in partnership with someone who tells me the truth. <laughs> if I wanted to be in partnership with someone who told me, who made me feel good all the time, we wouldn't be in an authentic relationship because there'd right. be a power dynamic that wouldn't be, it wouldn't be, we wouldn't be meeting each other. Wouldn't be fruitful. Man. Okay. Well, we're going to answer a few more questions, but we're going to take it over to Patreon. Um, but before we go, lasting thoughts, like if you were to give anything to our audience that you is on your heart today that you just know they need to hear, what would that be? That anyone can learn how to be in loving, beautiful relationships. It is not only for the privileged, only for the et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It doesn't dismiss the reality that whatever space you're coming from isn't challenging, but to know that it is a skill set. And honestly, you could learn all of the skills for free. You could learn them online. If you'd rather not go garner all of them, you can take a course. And there's lots of great teachers. I have courses on it, but there's lots of great teachers. Um, if you want to get it for free, actually, the app that I created, Mind, is free for 2020. And it's got tons of relational teachers. So I think the, uh, the real message is no matter where you're at in your journey, first off, you're in the exact place you need to be. Mm. Any regret for the past prevents you from being present to now. And so you start where you are, know what you need to work on, and intentionally go towards that. You know you're a bad communicator. You know you don't handle conflict well. Go learn the mastery of language. Learn the mastery of conflict. There are so many free courses you could take on conflict. You could just look up nonviolent communication. You could buy the book. And if you master that, your life will change. I promise you. And so will your relationships because you can't just change how you communicate and all of a sudden you're, com you're still communicating the same. It's mm -hmm. like any dance. You change the steps, the other person is forced to change or leave. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think it's important to reinforce to everyone listening that you should never choose a relationship over yourself and you should never abandon a relationship and isolate yourself either. Like wow. you can be in both. Yeah. You can be in love and hold on to who you are. And it is a dance and it's challenging. But what else is there to do in this lifetime other than that? And that's what we're here for. We're not here to make a million dollars. I mean, that's nice, I guess. I don't know yet, but you know, I'm sure it's good. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Thank you so much, Mark, for the wealth of knowledge that you bring and just how accessible you make it. It's just, I really, really appreciate it today. Um, guys, definitely like check him out. Um, where can they find you? So you can find me at Create the Love on Instagram and Mark Groves. I mean, if you Google it, you'll find me. MarkGroves.com, createthelove.com is where all my courses are. And I mean, I have tons of free content on Create the Love on Instagram, YouTube, I have videos. And if you want to get that app, it's you just go to Download Mind, and Mind is spelled M-I-N-E-D, DownloadMind.com. And it's for iOS or Android. And it's free. And there's tons of amazing relational teachers on there. Beautiful.
Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, guys, if you like this episode, make sure to share it with someone that you love and like and subscribe and we will see you in the next one. We're out. Brussels, Brussels sprout. <laughs> nice. I like that. Hey guys, thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, now you're going to tune into something we're doing a little bit new on the show. As you guys know, I'm a card reader and um, what we're going to start doing at the end of our Monday shows is kind of giving you a card of the week. So get ready (laughs) because we're about to pull a card for you for some weekly wisdom. Today's weekly wisdom card is... The journey card and the journey card is an awesome card because it talks about where you're headed and where you want to go in your life it doesn't just have need to mean about where you want to go physically but also where you want to go mentally what paradigms do you want to break this week what ideals do you not want to stick by anymore where have you been wanting to go that you've been waiting to go and kind of procrastinating and feeling like you need to be perfect before you could go there? Or where have you been afraid to go? This card kind of gives you some inspiration and encouragement to head towards your goals and head towards where you'd like to see your life kind of change in this moment. So this week, give yourself an opportunity to think about where you're headed and what journey you'd like to see be completed. Remember that you can always find me at thelovelyaliyah.com to book your own card reading. And hopefully we'll connect personally sometime soon. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please share it with someone you love. And if you're interested in becoming a client for energy coaching or card readings, find me at thelovelyaliyah.com to read more about what I do and to book your own session. And don't forget to add me on the lovely Leah on Instagram for daily content and inspiration and hang out with me on Patreon. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you.